Chapter 3 of Wanted, Seven Fearless Engineers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Wanted, Seven Fearless Engineers by Warner Van Lorn. Chapter 3, Strange Destination. When Dick opened his eyes there was a feeling of motion to the bed. The strangeness of the ceiling overhead drew his attention. It was not canvas, but shiny metal, almost purple in tint. Suddenly he sat up. Dolores lay beside him. As his eyes cleared of the lingering mist, objects in the room became plainer. They were in a luxuriously equipped cabin. Dolores slowly opened her eyes. A moment later she sat up beside him. Glancing through the porthole beyond the bed, she turned away with a groan. "'We are under water, and deep. I can't see a thing but strange blue light.' When Dick joined her, his forehead puckered in a frown. Uh, "'No, Dolores, it doesn't look like water. It looks more like—no, it can't be!' For several minutes there was silence while he gazed through the opening. Dolores had lost interest in the outside, and was examining the fittings of the cabin. It had everything that could be desired in a first-class hotel room, and many little toilet articles besides. Suddenly Dick turned away. "'It's true. We're in the air, or above it. Dolores, this ship is an aircraft.' "'Never mind, Dick. This room is beautiful. Whether we're flying or swimming, this is the nicest room I've ever had. It has everything. And look at the dressing-table!' Dick sat down in amazement, a smile slowly spreading over his face. Dolores was happy wherever they were. The room was all that mattered. But he couldn't understand why Morkwell had gassed them and put them on board unconscious. He would have enjoyed seeing the new ship. When a knock sounded at the door, Dolores was unpacking her clothes for the first time since they left the primrose. Turning the knob, Morkwell stepped in. I'm sorry, Dick, that I had to use gas, but I knew the people would be afraid of boarding this ship. John McCarthy is down in the power room already, examining the machines, but some of the others are upset about the transfer from the island. I hope you don't feel resentful. Uh, no, Morquill, we're satisfied. Uh, if you don't believe it, look at Dolores. She decided to like this room the minute she saw it, and it's unpacking already. The worried expression disappeared from the strange man's face. I had the cabins equipped for women, as I know they are particular about such things. Would you like to see the ship? It will be your home for a long time, and you might as well get acquainted. I'm sorry that no one but myself understands English, but you will have ample time to learn our language during the voyage. You must speak it fluently by the time we arrive. As they started out, Dolores dropped the dress she was holding to join them. Curiosity overcame the desire to straighten out her clothes. Entering a wide passage, they turned to the right. It ended abruptly in a room with several comfortable chairs. Three tables occupied the centre in uneven positions, the underparts filled with metal-covered books. Two men of Morkwill's race looked up at their approach. 
Dick returned their friendly smile. When Dolores smiled, they appeared embarrassed, but truly greatly pleased. Barrow noticed that one of them was examining a book in English. The illustrations seemed to fascinate him. A narrow passage beyond the main cabin led to the control room, where three men sat in swivel chairs. The instrument board was a marvel to Dick, and he watched for several minutes. It would require months to understand even a small portion of the gauges. The ship was built with two decks and a large hold beneath the lower floor which contained the machinery. The strange men were quartered on the lower level, with the exception of Morkwill. His cabin was next to the one occupied by the Barrows. The McCarthys were on the opposite side of the passage, in a room slightly smaller than the one allotted to Dick and his wife. The quarters of all the remainder of the party were smaller, but still quite comfortable, all located farther back on the same passage. Morkwell was proud of the ship and displayed each section with pride. He opened every cupboard door and showed them through all of the cabins. They were stopped for a while when they met Mrs. Yarborough, trying to dispel her fear of the strange craft. The others appeared to be taking their new quarters for granted and settling down for the trip. The main cabin was towards the front of the ship, while the dining-room was at the rear, the staterooms on the passage between. One stairway led to the lower level from just back of the control room, another from the dining saloon. A ramp beneath the rear stairway led to the hold of the ship. When they started down, Dolores returned to her cabin. Her interest ended on the upper decks. Dick spotted John bending over one of the machines, so engrossed that he didn't hear their approach. One of the crew stood nearby, watching. When McCarthy saw Barrow, he nearly burst with enthusiasm. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Why, it almost talks. Do you know, this little machine actually picks up the orders from the control room and adjusts every machine down here. Darned if I don't think it's got a brain. When Morkwill led the way towards the front of the hold, John was still engrossed in the apparatus. He will be a valuable man to you, Dick, and can solve many problems that you would otherwise have to do yourself. He will make an able assistant. Passing by the heavy machinery, they approached an enclosed section, which appeared to be of recent installation. Stepping through the doorway, Morkwill threw a switch which lighted every corner, then watched expectantly as Dick examined the strange objects. It appeared to be a colony of metal beehives, with covered passages between. It is our home, Dick. This room contains everything in miniature that you will see when we arrive. Each of the smaller domes houses 30,000 people, the large one three times that number. We are born, live our lives, and die beneath these metal ceilings. It will be your job to care for them. Everything beneath these domes is exactly as it is in our cities, except that the machines are dummies. This model room was installed so you could study our civilization during the trip. When you arrive, you will be ready to start work. You and you only will have a key. You may bring any member of your party here that you desire but it is not necessary for them to understand the entire civilization. There are only six cities, including the large one where you and John McCarthy will be located. The other men will each have one dome under their control. 
it is easy to travel back and forth, and you may gather together at any time, although each of you will have duties in different sections. While you are overseeing the work in the smaller cities, John can look after the capital. Upon your arrival in your pun, you will take complete charge of all mechanical work. It will be your responsibility from then on. As Dick slipped the key in his pocket, he felt the weight of a country settle slowly on his shoulders. Two hundred and ten thousand people, entirely dependent upon his control of the machines. Where could this settlement be? They had sailed down near to the end of the world in the Primrose, and now they were going even farther. From the way the metal domes covered the cities, it might be at the South Pole and still be habitable. By the time they returned to the main cabin it was dinner-time. It was past midday when he regained consciousness, and Dick was hungry. Mrs. McCarthy was knitting a sweater for her husband, while three of the strange men watched in amazement. Her knitting-needles seemed to hold them spellbound. The other members of Dick's party were sitting around trying to decide what to do, but the sound of the dinner-gong made them forget their worries. Dick had to go down to the hold and call John, who was still watching the master machine. If he hadn't been dragged away, he would have spent the night examining the strange device. The meal was simple, but they all enjoyed it. It seemed to dispel the gloom from the party, and they appreciated McCarthy's jokes. There were fifteen of Morkwill's race in the crew, and all but the men at the controls joined them. Knives and forks stood at the places set for the passengers, brought from the supplies on the primrose, but the crew ate with long, narrow spoons. Table silver was evidently unknown to this race of people. After dinner Morkwill called them to the main cabin, and for the first time told about the destination. All that had kept them from losing hope long before was his promise of greater comfort and luxury than they could hope for in their native land. I know that some of you resent the fact that you were unconscious while put aboard this ship but I know you would hesitate to come of your own accord. One woman said that she wouldn't go on an undersea ship, and she would be more afraid of this. You will be amazed to know that we are now leaving the atmosphere of the earth that you have always known. Our destination is on a different planet. End of chapter 3